Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Have you ever received an evacuation notice for a forest fire? This episode, called Where There's Smoke, There's Anxiety, we talk about air tankers, helicopters, fire breaks, smoke, air quality, and anxiety, of course. We also discuss what an anxiety attack looks like and what a panic attack looks like. Note that we talk about Indigenous rights and climate change briefly, so if that's a difficult topic for you, just be aware, resource yourself, all that lovely stuff. And if you'd like to learn more about Indigenous peoples in the land we call Canada, I, I love this great introductory book called Indigenous Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S, that's available everywhere books or audiobooks are sold. So, I hope you all are staying resourced for this fire season and for this awesome discussion here on Intimate Interactions. Okay, well, let's start it there. Um, raining ash and fires and anxiety and evacuation alerts and worrying about your family and all that stuff is what we'll talk about today. And levels of evacuation alerts. Right. We might evacuate you. Yeah. We'll probably evacuate you. Have your bags packed. We're planning on evacuating you. And we would like to evacuate you. I'm just kidding. Get out now. <laughs> JK, JK, you're actually good to go back to your homes now that you're, you've paid for hotels and are inconvenienced. Yeah. <laughs> we got rain. We weren't sure we were going to get rain. We wanted to stop you from burning to death. Yep. So yeah, so living in the interior of British Columbia is its own interesting beast. Beautiful summers, except for the fire season. Lakes. Absolutely. Camping. Orchards. Fruit wines. Beaches. It's actually really nice. I really enjoy the heat and the sun. <sighs> it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Except for fire season. Which it is right now. Except for fire season. In fact, the White Lake fire right now, last I checked, was 50,000 hectares, over 550 square kilometers. Yeah, it's absolutely getting up there. White Rock Lake fire. Let me see if I can find news about it. Because this is what we're currently grappling with. Yeah. That White Rock Lake fire is insane. Oh, wow. As of 4 a.m. this morning, six more structures on four properties in the Bolo Lake area have suffered oh, no. significant damage due to the wildfire. How big is it, though? They're using helicopters to try and bucket waters onto cool spots to create to create cool spots where there are hot spots. And skimmers and air tankers are available to support today. Do you want to explain what a what a skimmer or an air tanker what what skimmers and air tankers and firefighting helicopters are? Oh boy. Um, you can pick anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, the air tankers would be the ones that would be collecting. Um, it would be the large planes. Mm -hmm. 
I would be collecting large amounts of water to drop on the fires. They're also sometimes called um, water bombers in Canada. Water, also known as water bombers up here, as we call them. <laughs> um, one of our most famous would be Martin Mars that we don't use anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which is causing a lot of controversy up here right now for those that are very sentimental about them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yes, we have others available to us as well. So when there's crazy amounts of fire happening all around us and we're worried about people being seriously affected um we do all these things to try and stop the wildfires from spreading including setting up yeah. fire breaks with fire retardant and pre-burns and cutting down areas and removing fuel from a fire's course to try and stop it from continuing yeah. but when Absolutely. there are cinders and embers and a lot of heat in the wind it's you know if you have like a lot of especially dry heat in in the area and you've got all these cinders blowing across it can be it can jump over fire fire gaps as well fire breaks so we have planes to drop the water fire breaks. say that again i said the fire breaks are definitely important for sure yeah so then we have our air tankers to drop water on the fire, and we've got helicopters that bucket water onto the fire. Um, and then I presume that a skimmer is a plane that scoops up water while it's in motion. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they like that they're somehow able to gulp water out of a out of a lake. Yeah. So they like land in the lake, sort of gulp a whole bunch of water, take off, and then drop it yeah. like a bucket. Um, yeah. And the hardest part is to try and make sure they're accurate so that they can actually hit the hot spots in the fire so they have the effect you want them to have. But then, of course, it's incredibly dangerous because the lower you are to the ground, the more accurate you are, but also the more at risk you are from really intense updrafts from the fire tearing the wings off your plane and killing you. So, Yeah, because the updraft from the fires are so intense since fire can create its own windstorms. Yep. Since fire has its own weather yeah right that it creates oh wasn't there there's a thing that was happening in vernon where they were getting an electrical storm that was being caused by the fire yeah oh shoot what's the word for that there's a crazy word that usually refers to volcanic eruptions having their own weather systems uh let me see if i can type in volcanic electrical storm and see if i get anything what are they called Oh, this is going to bug me. Volcanic lightning doesn't seem to be able to... Nope, I'm not getting anything interesting coming up. But I know there is a word for it. Volcanic weather. What am I missing? Oh, it's going to bug me now. Anyways, there's a word. If you know it, comment. Message me. Yeah. Let me know what the word is. Remember. But it's basically when intense heat causes its own weather storm. Anyways, um, my friends in Vernon have been talking about how they're experiencing lightning um, from the weather system coming from the smoke and heat off of this fire, which is just nuts. Oh, wow. Although if you think about it, if you think about a volcano erupting and then shooting lightning, I can see why human beings like prior to a lot of scientific knowledge would have been like well there is god 
God is angry. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I mean, it would be terrifying when you don't have a lot of explanation. There really can only be very few answers to that. It's also just like it's so many things happening at once. You're like potentially earthquakes and volcanoes erupting and lightning and you're just like well we should pray harder because <laughs> that is a lot of crap what can you do this is going wrong all at the same time i wonder if i can find the updated size of the white rock lake fire so you have family in the in the way of the white rock lake fire do you not yeah yeah luckily the evacuation alert finally just ended for them Oh, that's um, good. Though it was on for a couple, uh, at least a couple days anyway, but it was getting kind of dicey there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I know your mom was, uh, I was chatting with your mom on Facebook because apparently <laughs> I do that. <laughs> and uh, she messaged me to let me know. Yeah, I just wanted to check in to make <laughs> sure she was okay because, like, your dad, I know your dad and mom were just like hanging out. And apparently they were listening to your brother on the uh, emergency scanner, which is adorable because your brother works in (laughs) dispatching emergency first responders. So they're like listening to their successful son. (laughs) Not that you're not also (laughs) successful, but they're listening to him like at, at work, like dispatching people with all their bags packed. And it's just like it hijacks your life. Yeah. Absolutely. You just can't think about anything else. You're like anxious all the time. It's a pretty crappy experience. Yeah. And, you know, they have everything ready to go. All the important documents in one box and all the pictures and videotapes of us and the kids as kids in another box of one suitcase packed with dog food and all their important toys and a set of leashes and harnesses for them and mm-hmm. another set of things for their stuff mm-hmm. you know it's it's, it's we, they have all the emergency things set up ready to go and it's it's scary to have to live like that but when you live in the interior a fire zone yeah. that's how you have to live and it's like you know it's it's almost like bizarre to think that like even the doggies have their own little suitcase ready to go for their emergency evacuation doggy bug out bags yep <laughs> Aww. i remember your doggies but yeah so yeah so there's the anxiety of having family they can't go run. sorry i'm sure they don't like the smoke either because even they can't go run right right yeah well that's the other thing is air quality literally is off the charts most of the time like the air quality index or whatever that's on the scale of one to ten like you just tend to see 10 plus and it doesn't really vary it just says 10 plus like don't go outside so kids can't go outside you can't really exercise um if you don't have access to really good air purification you don't even really want to talk because the more spend more time you spend talking like the worse your voice gets absolutely if you live with any sort of chronic lung condition, oh, yeah. like my father. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I was, I just, I can't even imagine what it would be like to add chronic illness on top of everything else. Yeah. So 
I mean, if you go outside, you pretty much want to have an N95. Yeah. And not just for COVID. <laughs> right, because all this is still happening in the context of the pandemic. Yeah. It's like... Absolutely. And then the interior is having a huge spike of Delta cases. Of course they are. And... Because, guess this, if you have worse air quality, the... Um, oh, yeah. That makes sense. Um, contraction... Uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, you can. I just got brain you'll fog. You'll cough more. You'll be more likely to spread it. Yeah, and it's lingering in the air. Come on, Billy. Since there's smoke, it's staying in the air. Um, right. The virus is right because in the there air. is. Is it nucleation that's happening? Particulation. Particulation. There's a lot though? of particulates to carry it, I guess. I guess so. Um, <laughs> Nebulization. Yeah, my friend, my friend, um, my friend who's a nurse who was, was posting a bunch of information about the spread of COVID mm-hmm. and the wildfire smoke, and she said like that's why, and one of the reasons why, it's spreading so badly right now in like Kelowna Vernon Interior right. Health Region, is just like the air quality is so bad, and it's just having an easier time getting from person to person because it's just having this easy time staying in the air. Mm-hmm. People are coughing. People are talking like just like, you know, it's just, it's there. It's in the air and we're just easily spreading it from person to person. Yeah. And it's just going to continue that way. Yeah. Well, it's still out of control. That's what's crazy. Like this fire has been going for how long? Like two months? It's been going for a while. Well, at least. It's the same. It's the same fire that took out Lillooet. Yes. I'm gonna Google how long, and see. Oh, a lot of people are like, "How long till it gets to where I am?" I'm like, "Oh God." Um, let's see. Yep, articles on creating their own weather storm. Fire growth stalled, but windy and dry conditions are in store. Oh, that's because we had rain just now. Like, just recently we had some rain, which was really, really appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't mind a little bit more and more. And now we're about to get hit with four days of absolutely atrocious hot weather. Right. Did you see what we're getting? Um, I didn't even look, but let's look at your weather forecast for Chase. 33 degrees Celsius up to 35 and 36 degrees on Saturday, which for Americans is 97 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, pretty hot. Although I think uh, record temperatures in Lillooette were insanity. Like they were, they were what, 40, 45, 46, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then it actually got to 49, I think, the day before the fire. Oh, you're talking about you... the, Litton, the Litton record was 49.6 degrees Celsius. Right, that's right. I just sent you the our the, um, a picture of what our, um, our heat index and warning is for this. Oh, my week. goodness. <laughs> the next four days. This is the next four days for us. That is that is pretty ridiculous. 
Um, so the 49.6 degrees Celsius record set in Lytton before it seemingly spontaneously combusted was 121.3 degrees Fahrenheit. That is how hot Canada got. Um, I wonder, I imagine that it's hotter in Death Valley in California, though, just because... I, I would think so. Because, you know, Death Valley, yeah. California. But 121 Fahrenheit, like, not, like almost 50 degrees Celsius. Like, it's halfway between boiling and freezing. Like, <laughs> the air should yeah. not be this temperature. No. Like, your skin would, like, just <laughs> sizzle. It's just so uncomfortable. Like, that's just so hot. Your body can't regulate super easily. Even if you got sprayed with water, the water would be hotter than your body temperature before it could all evaporate. Yeah. No. Gross. I would not. I would I would be yep. very unwell. Agreed. I would not be able to keep water in my body and then I would be very sick. Yeah. So yeah, so me with me with pots, I would just shrivel and die. I would just be like, This this is my end. So long farewell. Let's just be Visual. really clear though, climate change is a myth. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I just like keep telling everyone, I'm like, I'm not ready to move north. And my friends are like, are you planning on moving? And I'm like, well, no, but I'm going to have to. Yeah. Canada's uniquely <laughs> like... very well positioned for global warming. As much as I'm like, we really need to save the planet. I'm like, I guess a whole bunch of people are going to get free health care. So that's good. I don't want to move to Prince George, but hey, like off I go, I guess. Yeah, it's... Like, the craziest thing is a lot of the countries that are in the parts that have the most likelihood of suffering seem to be the countries whose governments care the least. Like Australia burnt yeah, down that's... and they had like a climate denial government for a very long time. And like oh, California, pretty similar. Like the U.S. just had four years of Trump. Right. So it's like they've been not working at all on anything remotely resembling environmentalism. And like... You know, you get enough fires of places burning down and you start sort of going like, okay, we're, we've got, you know, record setting temperatures all across the nation. We've got unprecedented out of control forest fires, you know, in other nations as well as ours. It's not just like a unique single isolated case. Like we've got really severe forest fires that are seemingly happening in a very short time span. When I say very short, I mean like 10 years or less because these are records. And then the annoying thing is in both and especially in Australia and even here is that you have thousands and thousands of years of indigenous communities that can tell you exactly what to do to reestablish exactly what you need to have healthy forests and areas to reestablish the proper healthy areas but nobody will listen well, and it's it's worse than just not listening to. It's like people will expressly deny them any sense of agency over their lands. And I don't even mean the lands we've settled that we call Canada. I mean the lands we've specifically given and set aside, quote unquote given, the lands that we aren't occupying, that we have expressly set aside for indigenous folks to be on, like reserves and such. We don't even give them autonomy there. Like, they're basically, they're not even just second-class citizens. Like, we very much are occupying their lands and giving them absolutely nothing. We, we don't give them any representation in government. You know, we don't, 
we don't give them any special consideration, really. And we keep saying that we're supposed to consult with Indigenous, you know, leadership when we run things through um, reserves, and then you get no real consultation happening. And then you get these court cases. And I mean, we wouldn't have apologized for residential schools or, you know, any of the, the genocide that went along with them if it hadn't been for that court case where we had a settlement decision where we had to apologize, essentially. Yeah. Or where apologizing was part of the settlement is what I should say, because I haven't reviewed it. But, you know, the, the crazy thing is I was looking more into the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was part of that settlement as well, um, like the committee and the decision they published. And I'm like... That executive summary's introduction, if you don't read the actual report, because it is six volumes, and you only read the executive summary, and then you start into it, realize it's really long, and go, I don't want to read the whole executive summary. If you just read the introduction of the ex executive summary, it's really good. Like, it offers a lot of really good context and sort of gives you a really good big picture view. It's, it's a well-written executive summary, I think. The introduction, at least. Mm -hmm. okay. the, quote, the quotes are incredible. Like, anyone who denies that we were specifically trying to genocidally destroy First Nations culture and to the very best of our ability as a nation, then to the peoples as well, just needs to look at the quotes from prime ministers in office at the Times and, like, people in positions of power. Oh, like absolutely. It's well recorded how racist and genocidal we were as a people. Yeah. And a lot of these individuals, like, we still have ongoing legacies of that. There's still people without clean drinking water. We still have people, you know, who are, like, we still take more interventions to avoid removing children from homes in white settler families than we do in BIPOC and especially Indigenous families. So it's like, yeah. like, the racism is still here and it's still impacting them. And we have to also consider it in the historical context that, like, these kids aren't just being... You know, we aren't just, quote unquote, rescuing um, these kids, you know, in alarming numbers. We're taking these kids out of their cultures where they won't be raised with their language or culture. And that is happening in the backdrop of this genocide where we did do exactly that in more direct, more on mass ways. So it's extremely important that we really reevaluate some of those systems. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, on, yeah. I have a friend who works... Um in social services um, for um, indigenous families mm. and absolutely it's it's atrocious and she's had to to go on leave because it's just so hard it's it's really upsetting and and, and we're not even you know like we're not even indigenous i can't speak for your friend but you know yeah, she if it's if it's this upsetting just, to settlers i can't even imagine what it's like when you have parents and grandparents who and, are directly affected by like the 60s scoop yes. or like yes and yeah, she, yeah, she she is, and, and it's it's horrible for her and and for her friends and her family. Yeah. And and I have yeah, my my uncle was actually a sixty scoop baby. Wow, as well. So didn't know um, that. Yeah, um, yeah. So he like didn't find out until he was quite a bit older. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's horrible what our government has done. And, like, we have the tools to find out what our, even our forests need. From... Yeah. Well, and if you, like, some of the like... Indigenous folks who have spoken up about environmentalism have been saying that. Like, just, you know, like, if you... Oh, now I really want to find this video. Um, There was a... 
what is her name? Pamela Paul Palmatter. So just in terms of resources for you folks, um, there's a book called Indigenous Rights, spelled W-R-I-T-E-S, that is an incredibly good, in my opinion, introduction, especially for settlers um, like myself, so people who are non-Indigenous, to just, like, learn more about, like, like what is all this stuff about and, like, what are these, what are Billy and Victor talking about? Like, I don't know what the 60s yeah. scoop is. Like, if, if these, ter- if you're Canadian especially and these terms are really foreign to you, it's it's the, yeah. the resources are really available. You can literally even go onto Audible if you want to support Amazon and Audible. You can go on Audible or you can go to your bookstore or your local library, which is probably the best place to go because you can get everything through your local library online now. It's great, especially if you're in a large metro area like Vancouver. Um, and if you don't have access to any of that, this Indigenous Right book, Rights book is really good. It's 101 level stuff, but it doesn't hold any punches. It's not... It's there's a surprising amount of indigenous emotional labor that has gone into not not yelling at you not being angry at you just trying to approach it like you're a friend and just like explaining it to a friend so i'd highly recommend it um but there's also there's also a person you can look up um pamela palmatter who has a ted talk um that's really consumable and also tons of youtube videos but she is a micmac uh person from new brunswick our quote-unquote so-called new brunswick um who's just essentially like a political commentator but also i believe is a doctor and lawyer let me look up her wikipedia real quick and if there's people who enjoy um their absorbing content through tiktok there is someone who i found who's amazing who's got fantastic content that's super um, educational and just like kind of small bits who also has EDS. Oh, cool. And she's, let me, I mean, it's not cool for her, but (laughs) no, but she's from BC as well as indigenously EDS on TikTok. Her name's Crystal. And she's absolutely amazing. Has very educational um, stuff about residential schools, about 60 scoop, um, all sorts of stuff. And then a red, has a little bit of stuff randomly about EDS as well sometimes on there. Cool. So, she's really cool. So I, I yeah. found um, Pamela Palmatter's um, wiki page and she does have a doctorate in law, which is crazy. So she did like an undergrad in arts first, then a bachelor's in law, then a master's in Aboriginal law, and then a doctorate in Aboriginal law from Dalhousie University. Oh, okay, wow. She's super well-educated and like super... Like the fact that she is indigenous as well just gives her in my opinion like a much better informed perspective to talk about these issues because like we're we're all used to hearing the settler perspective it's really interesting to hear an indigenous person who's been settler educated and has like a doctorate and like at that point you can't you can't just diminish what they're saying by being like oh this person doesn't understand because clearly she fucking gets it so Mm-hmm. It's it's really great yeah. to sort of have those individuals who are making these arguments that are very well thought out, that are very reasonable, and like you can't deny it. And like that's what's so powerful I find about um, folks like Palma, Papa, ah, Pamela Palmatter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I, like that's the thing is like a lot of people haven't heard about these things, and like a lot of my friends that I talk to. And especially a lot of my friends in 
heard about these things because what well, I mentioned the 60s scoop and they're like what's the 60s scoop mm-hmm. and I'm like oh <laughs> yeah like we're gonna have this conversation uh, yikes <laughs> you know like well and it's very horrible the, the other and... thing sorry I don't mean to cut you off but I, I kind of want to yeah. jab this in before I forget the other thing that's super interesting is Lytton was a highly indigenous area so the town mm-hmm. that burnt down in the forest fires this this summer um, was an in, was a predominantly indigenous town. Yeah, and they like lost their like their bound office, everything. I believe they lost everything. Like there's yeah. no infrastructure left in the town. Like I think all the houses are burnt. Like I don't think there's anything really left of Lytton. I don't think so. No, but like. Yeah, residents of Linton return to see what's left. There's a whole CBC video that there's there's not much. Mm-hmm. There really isn't much. There's just shells of buildings, shells of cars that got left. Like, it's all rubble. There's blackened trees that are just burnt to a crisp. Which, incidentally, tons of settler conspiracy theorists, by tons I mean like a few, being like, why isn't that tree burnt? It's like, it is burnt. It's just a black shard. It just looks dark green, but it's a... Trust me, it's it's charcoal. The tree's gone. <laughs> Oh, there's man. literally because like, there are pictures nice. and you can see a building just devastated and there are trees in between the buildings but more importantly there actually is just like a charcoal in the shape of a tree next to the building like well because like some trees Do people know how things work like if you were to touch well because and also some yeah. trees explode right like especially yeah. if they're dry enough trees explode but all the trees that were in the city were presumably watered so the ones in yeah, between the buildings exactly. didn't explode and then the other ones did explode. So there's like devastation and then you see these shards of trees just sticking up and people are like, conspiracy! And it's like, great. So if you're if you're an indigenous person living in Linton right now, like one, my heart goes out to you. But in addition, like if you just think about that history of like coming from this long line of people that, that are just getting ruthlessly screwed over by these settlers, the world's getting poisoned, your land's heating up, you're having to deal with all this stuff. There's a person, I'm pretty sure there's a high degree of suspicion that the Lytton fire was, um, that the that the White Rock Lake fire was started by a person, but I could be mistaken. It also sounds like possibly railroad. Oh yeah, I heard about that, that it might be a railroad started fire. Because um, it could have been a spark on grass. <sighs> right. From the railroad. On Main Cane, because the railroad's supposed to go along and clear any grass that could get sparked. Right. So it started in mid-June. It's now mid-August, so it's been going two months. The fire has burned more than 6,300 square kilometers of land and displaced more than 6,900. Yeah, because if you look up... It's grown to 770 square kilometers. Yeah, look up. This is two days ago. Gosh, this fire is so scary. Like, it's it's just enormous. Like, you think about 770 square kilometers. Like, that's that's a big fire. Yeah. So it's like 35,000 residents easy. are ready to leave at a moment's notice as 31 notable wild, wildfires pose a visible threat. <laughs> a visible threat. Yeah, because it even says, Linton, BC fire, wake up call for railway safety during BC extreme heat. Right. There's a possibility that a freight train could have been linked to the disaster. Wow. So yeah, so there's there's some suspicion that it's that it was essentially person caused that it that it may have come from the from the freight train, which is like. 
but just can you imagine like you've suffered all that intergenerational trauma you own your own place like you're finally you're like it's okay like well it's not okay but you know we can try and make this work and then you know climate change essentially and people not being careful enough leads to a complete destruction of your of your whole town like that's it's pretty brutal. Anyways, I don't want to speak for anyone, and I feel like I'm kind of veering into that dangerous territory, but just, like, just my perception of the whole thing is, like, we have royally fucked up as Canadians and as settlers, and we need to do better. Yeah, and honestly, if it is a situation where the railway is at least responsible. semi-responsible, yeah. then they should be on the hook 100%. for yep. damage. Fortunately for me... I don't live in the interior, so I'm not... I used to live in the interior. I was there in 2003 when the barrier fire burned down barrier. But, like, watching it... I'm just watching it with, like, bated breath, hoping my friends are okay, and Vernon and Chase, and, you know, I know a lot of people... But there, Sorry, go ahead. There used to be a situation where, in fire season, trains used to have, like, a car on the back, like a water car. Oh. And, like... And they would just, like, water so that, alongside the track. Like, if they were running along and they sparked, they would water along so that they didn't burn down cities. Right. Or, like, you know, there used to be situations. It's like, increased traction while the train is speeding can throw sparks that could smolder in a right. fire um, before a fire is ignited. Mm. It's like, well... It doesn't take much to ignite a fire. Yeah, we realize that. So you guys need to come up with a dis- yeah. different situation. Either you need to have another situation where you bring on water cars again or you, sure. you know. I feel like there's there's even got to be a way to just have high air pressure blowing on the sides of the track or something. You know what I mean? Actually, you know what? Yeah, that probably wouldn't know. work. I'm not an expert and I feel like that would probably feed embers. So don't listen to me. <laughs> It just, like, I just mean there has to be some yeah, solution. Just, like, have a man on the back with water in his house. Well, even just, like, have a video camera spotting. Like, just have cameras on both sides of the train spotting for it. Like, yeah. they're just... They, we have simple solutions to be like, oh, shit, we caused this fire. And in addition to that, we need to call someone to put it out. Obviously, exactly. prevention's the best, the best medicine here, but, like, if they... And then another and another train that falls behind with a thing like a thing that can come along with a water trolley. Yeah, like there's there's no reason that they couldn't have firefighting, um, yeah, trolleys. trolleys that could go out to fires as soon as they are reported. If you have enough of them, because if they're along the track, yeah. then there can be something that goes along and the track and carries all the water with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. You could just have them like loaded at various stations and just have them ready to go. That's like when the um when the super tanker was built, um not that it was ever really effective in being used. It held like close to 20,000 gallons of water or something. It was an American like 747. Um America and it just big loves that's <laughs> bigger, bigger, better, stronger, faster can be at any fire in the US within 5 hours and bankrupt because <laughs> it's way too expensive. <laughs> Um, but it was a super cool idea for fighting fires that you just have all of this water. So like if there was a fire that started near a populated area, you could just send out the water bomber and in like two to five hours, it could be there dropping like, like, I don't, I don't even know how much water is in a swimming pool, but like at least that much. 
I will look it up. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, so an Olympic swimming pool is 660,000 gallons as opposed to 20,000 gallons. So never mind. <laughs> so just like somebody's backyard swimming pool. Basically, basically. yeah. Like a pretty large amount of, of water. Let me just see. Yeah, so I'm just checking. They're rated to carry up to 19,600 gallons or 74,000 liters of fire retardant or water. So basically, the I think the challenge with a plane is getting 74,000 kilos of payload off the ground. Right? Because if you think wow. 74,000 liters, it's actually 74,000 kilos of weight that you need to get into the air, which is super yeah. so it's not that you didn't have the volume on the plane it was that the weight of the water was too much to take off with i guess yeah so now we know that's a lot of jet fuel yeah it's a lot of jet fuel i mean we got to have fires next season right <laughs> yeah so tldr fires cause anxiety they are really difficult and i hope this was informative for individuals and um i should probably look up strategies and if you live within fires be prepared have your bags ready know where your stuff is know where your point documents are do you have your birth certificate do you have your marriage yep. license do you know where your estate stuff is if you're older do you know where everything yeah. is do you have your stuff and you if prepared? you have kids or any if you have a large family unit do you have a location designated outside of you, outside of the evacuation zone. So when you go on evacuation alert, one of the first things they will hopefully tell you is set a designated meeting point. So if your kids are at school and the fire starts moving, just to give you some perspective, the White Rock Lake fire moved 18 kilometers in eight hours. So more than 10 miles in about eight hours. So, so while your kids are at school, if it moves that much that quickly, especially if it continues that pace or if there's a lot of like, you know, if it jumps a fire break and it's completely uncontrolled and it's moving towards you and your family, you want to make sure you can get out. The last thing you want is for your kids to be trying to take a bus to get home when what they really need to be doing is, you know, ideally have a cell phone. I know some parents don't like their kids having a cell phone. That's understandable. Um, but even using a friend's cell phone, like have them contact you and so you know where they are. And also just like meeting your whole family unit. If, you know, various people can get to a, a meeting spot, just designating somewhere on the edge of the city or sort of in the get the fuck out of Dodge spot. Yeah. Yes. Have a plan. Yes, that's. And make sure everyone knows the plan. That is the thing. That is the number one thing is have a plan of what to do. And that will, that is, that is also going to help you manage the anxiety. Yes. Cause that will, cause knowing the plan and having everyone know the plan is making, is the first part that's going to make you feel better and make everyone else feel yeah. better. You can always do the focused breathing technique. And there are lots of apps to help you if you're dealing with things like panic attacks for the first time. Um, it's totally normal to have panic attacks if you've been in sustained anxiety and nothing will sustain anxiety like two months of a fire that's slowly creeping up closer and closer to your city and your family. Um, so for folks that are struggling with anxiety right now, like there is a lot online you can look up. It's not all helpful. Um, some people find aromatherapy helpful. I don't. <laughs> 
Um, I think what's so useful about things like aromatherapy is mindfulness, because if you're focusing on the moment, it's really hard to be focusing on the horrors of what the future might bring. Some Sometimes Absolutely. journaling can be helpful for folks. You'll notice I'm doing a different format, Billy. I'm like starting to actually offer advice and strategies for folks so that if folks are listening, um, it's not just like doom, 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 doom. No, I like awesome. it. It's good. Yeah. And if you have any, you're always welcome to pour on some suggestions as well. I didn't think of some. Well, I thought I just had some. <laughs> yeah, you did. I, I think I? you did. I think you. I thought I, I, thought I just listened to some you things. Did. Yeah. Um, identifying triggers also helpful Yeah. for some people, those triggers might be, I don't know, talking too much, which leads to coughing and maybe coughing triggers claustrophobia or coughing triggers anxiety around the fires because you're like, Oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to breathe. My kids aren't gonna be able to breathe. Like those types of anxieties can be really intense. Um, not that any kind can't be because obviously any kind can be, but, uh, learning your triggers so you can help manage them and then you can help modify your day. It's the same thing with the chronic illness we were talking about before um, when we were saying like, it's so hard to know where my point is because like all of my bodily sensations are not configured for how intense what I'm going through is. So like my body is trying to tap out when I'm at like what I would call four and a half out of 10. My body's like squirming and like, I'm really trying to almost run away from the sensation. I'm not even at like a five out of 10 yet. It's like, <laughs> This is not good. Um, so then when you do when you yeah. do get to that dissociated place, you have to really analytically have some systems like, oh, have I eaten today? Oh, it's already 1130 in the morning. If I don't eat soon, I know I'm going to trigger a really serious episode and I'm going to be fucked. Um, for me, that's a big one. If I don't eat by noon, I'm I'm done. Like I'm screwed up. If I don't hydrate like at least probably at least at least a half liter, if not a full liter after getting up. And I have coffee, I'm fucked. Like, at the same time, if I don't have coffee before noon, I'm fucked. So it's like, there's this delicate <laughs> balance of like, all of the different like pieces that compensate for the other pieces that help. And like, making sure everything's in balance is exhausting. But once you know your triggers, and you can yeah. boil them down to like two or three easy cues. For me, it's like, I have to hydrate first thing, then I have to eat. Oh. then I have to have coffee. And if I do that in my morning, I'm much less likely to have like a raging fucking headache and like huge issue where all my symptoms break through and like so much less likely. Yeah. That's why I bring like a, my bottle of water to bed at night. I fill it with ice and mm -hmm. water because I have to have like at least half a liter of water before I actually get up out of mm -hmm. bed or I set my pots off because I have to be fully hydrated before I actually get myself upright because the uprights what set me off so i'm like all right once i'm full of liquid then i'm actually fully topped up then i can upright myself okay now we're okay <laughs> now i can go about that my day <laughs> that is like that is like a whole step of significantly harder more not that it's comparative but like that just like i think about how exhausting dealing with my shit is and then whenever you chime in i'm always like Oh, Billy, <laughs> my heart goes out just to like, you. I got a liquid. Got a liquid first. Otherwise, there will be no liquid in your arteries and you will be very quickly not upright. I'm just like, oh, I'm up. Oh, going back down. <laughs> Fuck. So, yeah. So, anxiety. 
But that's why this water bottle is so amazing. Oh, yes, that's right. The water bottle you love so much. That's like $50. I'm so happy for you. I I don't know whether... I don't think... It's my best friend. I don't friend. think we got it on, on record, but Billy uses like the nicest water bottle that has like a Brita filter in the straw. And I use a four liter jug from the grocery store. Because... I'm in love with my water bottle. I've convinced two other people to buy them. And they're just like, this is the best thing I've ever purchased. And I'm like, Brita bottle gang, Brita bottle gang. What, what, what? So the reason I don't, that I, <laughs> I used to go for like really nice water bottles. But what I find is some of them are a little bit harder to clean. And also I'm getting True. so sick of cleaning water bottles now because I've had them for so long. But because I dehydrate so quickly, I have to have a humidifier in my room, which means I kind of need to buy uh, distilled water anyway so they don't have to clean the fucking humidifier because that's also work. And when you're limited on spoons, you're oh, like, the yeah. last thing I want is to haul out the humidifier. When it's empty, you know, is when you think about cleaning it and then you're like... Yeah, because you have to use distilled water. Like, otherwise it would just oh, go disgusting. like... It's so bad. Like mildewy. Yeah, and, and then you're just pumping mold ugh. into the air, which is not helping your chronic condition at all no um so i have to buy distilled water just so i can like um neti pot oh interesting yeah yeah that makes sense because you shouldn't use tap water for neti pots i didn't realize this but you can no, definitely get no, no, like no, no, no. amoebic infections and stuff from tap water do not put tap water in your nasal cavity. it's like you can drink it but like you've got all of these systems in place in your body to manage microbes that you drink you don't have those same systems when you shove them up your nose so be really careful with neti pots especially because brain yep. right there use distilled you can add saline to it obviously so it doesn't burn i don't mean like just throw distilled water into your nasal cavity but like you need to start with distilled and make sure it stays like aseptic yep. you don't want any kind of you want it to be totally clean as sterile as possible um Hydration. So I get a distilled water, four liter jug from the store for like two bucks. I fill my yeah. my um, humidifier. <laughs> I almost said hydration machine. Humidifier. It is that too. Um, and then I fill the bottle back up with tap water. And then I put in the four teaspoons of Gatorade powder that I need for the potassium so I can and the sugar so I can properly absorb the water. And it's a good system. It means I have to change my water bottle because I have all these spare water bottles, bottles anyways. But then I also don't need yeah. to clean my water bottle, which when you're putting sugar and potassium into water is yes. just like, oh my God, learning I didn't have to clean my water bottle was like being a teenager who doesn't like doing the dishes and learning you can just throw dishes out the window and have them smash on the ground and be like, well, dishes are clean now. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. So I just That's recycle fair. my water bottles and it's amazing. I'm lazy because I take salt stick, which is basically a sodium and potassium um, I had one of those Hell. the other day because I was having a really bad migraine and I was feeling slightly dizzy when I stood up and I was like, well, stuff is out of whack. I'm going to throw everything I can at my body all at the same time. And it eventually rebounced itself. And I was like, hooray. Yeah. <laughs> at a certain point. Yeah, I, that's, that's what I take. At a certain point <laughs> when you have these like chronic illnesses, you get to that point of being beyond fucked where you're just like at like a seven or eight out of 10. And you're like, I'm going to throw every possible fix at this and hope none of them make it worse. Yeah, you're like, here, take all the remedies. Careful. And then when something works, you're like, oh, but which one was yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Oh. But like the careful planning is for when you're at like a 6 out of 10 or like a 5 out of 10. <laughs> when, when you can yeah. afford. You're just like, oh, man, I wish I knew. Wish I knew. Uh, I'm glad I'm better, but damn. <laughs> 
<laughs> so literally, I asked my partner to bring me a notebook and a pen while I was having like this full on fucking episode that lasted like 36 to 48 hours. It was like it was it was a bad time. It was about 36 hours of being right fucked. But like it was like 48 hours of being like symptoms of some kind. And I remember just being like, when I'm better, I won't even want to try to remember this time. So I won't be able to, I won't remember clearly like what my symptoms were. I won't remember clearly what I did about them. If you asked me what I did now, I would be like, remember the salt stick. I remember almost two grams of Tylenol. I remember eating, but I can't quite remember exactly what I ate, but I'm pretty sure I tried to eat normally, whatever that means. But I did introduce one food I don't normally eat because my FODMAP app said it was safe, but I couldn't tell you what food. Like, the most useless and, like, irrelevant and unhelpful information, but I, like, I just can't remember because, like, it's so much pain and it's, I I go into this brain fog. Yeah. Absolutely. Your brain just is, like, goes on autopilot and is just hope for the best and just get through this and please just, just, like, don't wither and die. Like, you know you're not going to actually die. But you just feel like you're not going to get yourself through it. I've had, <laughs> I've had two I mean? nights like... where I didn't feel certain I was going to live, even though intellectually I was pretty certain I was going to live. It was like, it's like emotionally when you're that fucked and you're in a brain fog and you can't think clearly, you're like, shit, I hope my blood sugar is okay. And like, I hope my blood pressure is okay. And like, I hope this condition doesn't worsen after I fall asleep. Is falling asleep going to lead to me not waking up? I hope not. Then again, it would be really nice not to wake up to this. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when I like I'll, I'll be feeling awful and I'll like take my blood pressure and it's like eighty five over fifty five and I'm like, that's bad enough that I almost want to go do something about it. But also the doctors treat me like crap, so I don't want to do something that's about ruthless. it. Because then I just have to explain to them. But I have this wrong with me and I have this wrong with me. But then they're just gonna treat me like I'm telling them I have problems so no I don't want to do that and then you know what I mean like I'm just like "Ah." I'm so glad mine doesn't get that low I can't even imagine being conscious at that because mine gets down to like 100 over 60 and like as a 35 year old male I'm pretty sure my blood pressure is supposed to be at least 120 over 80 like that's normal like human blood pressure is 120 with with some variation it's lower than that it's like you're you're okay. Like if it could sit like hypotension is ninety over six. Like if it goes below ninety over sixty, you're 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 hypotensive. Right. Like yep, that makes sense. Like you, you've got low blood pressure, and that's where I sit at. I sit at hypotensive. Like I just sit there all the time. So for <laughs> for men like, in my age range, yeah, they say ninety over sixty. Yep. Same same. Like so, like that's that's like where I sit. I just sit there. Just consistently hypotensive. Like, consistently there. And so, that's why we're trying to, like, beef me up a little. To just get me, like, normal. Mm -hmm. With the floor enough. We're just trying to get me to just, like, not there. Yeah, it isn't really until... Sorry, go ahead. I was... I'm on a different wavelength. Yeah, because it's, like, not until you're under that that you're just, like, getting dangerous. So, like, I'm just kind of in an annoying mm-hmm. range. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind of at the point where it bothers me when I stand mm-hmm. up. Because when I stand up, my blood pressure machine won't work. <laughs> That's so 
it just goes like error and that bothers me because then i'm concerned because i'm like am i dead jeez <laughs> i'm like are you not reading it because you can't get it like what's going on right <laughs> Like, do I have a blood pressure? That's that's brutal. When the machine won't work, that sucks. I'm like, oh, come on, buddy. So, like, that's why they say that I have orthostatic hypotension right. as well. So when I'm standing up, like, my body's just like, hmm. Mm, Could mm. push blood to brain, but not sure if want to. Yeah. So I get a little bit more stupid when I'm standing. Than when I'm oh, that down. is that genuinely so, like, like that's bit. that's one of the things about lower blood pressure that actually kind of bothers me is I'm like I hope my heart rate's okay and that my brain's still getting enough blood. Yeah, I get a little bit more confused sometimes. Like somebody will ask me a question and it'll like take me like, oh yeah yeah right. It just takes you that like um, extra couple of seconds. <laughs> like, I have a delayed reaction. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you for that romp through chronic illness, blood pressure, anxiety, pain, etc. It's always fun to chat and feel understood and like be able to learn about your life a little more and uh, also to talk about interesting topics like forest fires because I think a lot of people, especially who live in cities, don't really understand. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, oh, shoot. Down here, hear about them and and worry about them because it's our province and we stress about it and we occasionally get a little bit of the smoke and we you know get clouded in by it and annoyed Mm -hmm. by it but we never really get the impending doom of it like we used to when we were up oh yeah i i definitely remember the feelings of impending doom it never got to the point of a panic attack like for folks that maybe have never had a panic attack it's characterized by things like sweating and trembling sometimes, as well as a rapid heart rate, tiredness or weakness, gastrointestinal problems, difficulty focusing, hyperventilation, obviously, feelings of danger, panic, dread, etc., nervousness, restlessness. Um, so, oh, never mind. That's technically different from a panic attack. That's an anxiety attack. So there's a distinction being made between a panic attack here, which is what I just described, and a panic attack, which is full-on feelings of dying Um, Not just rapid heart rate, but heart palpitations, Um, not just sweating and trembling, but full on nausea, chest pains, shortening of breath. So like a legitimate feeling like you're losing control and that you're going to die. My bad. (laughs) So that's a panic attack. I was thinking of an anxiety attack. It's a good thing I looked these things up. Yeah. There you are. Seek help. It's also okay if you're experiencing that. Um, Seek help. There there is help you can get. Um, if you absolutely are unable to resolve it in the short term, there are also medications you can consider, but also the medications don't last forever for a lot of people. So it's a really good idea to combine medications with therapy. Medications may or may not be right for you. Um, therapy may or may not be right for you. And there are also a lot of different modalities of therapy. So think about different kinds of therapy. It's not just talk therapy. There's also group. There's also, 
you know, a lot of different things. And keep in mind, a lot of therapy in Canada is free, by which I mean, if you go to your GP, your general doctor, and you ask for the mental health resources, there's usually an anxiety or panic disorder group, at least in Vancouver, there definitely is, as well as in um, other parts of Metro Vancouver, like uh, Richmond, I know definitely has um, some pretty good groups that you can go to. Um, and they're not traditional group therapy in many cases. Um, they're sort of a hybrid model of lecture, group therapy, and talk therapy, which are pretty cool. So there are resources and solutions. Awesome. That's all I got. I'm I'm out of material. Okay. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. I always appreciate having time with you. Yay. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com slash intimatevictor. You can tweet me at intimatevictor. You can follow me on Instagram at intimatevictor. Pretty easy, right? If you can spare the cost of a cup of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a good review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords and played by an AI saxophonist. This closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time and may your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions. Be well.